Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everyone. Uh, we're back again. We're going to do this thing again, the third COVID version of, oh, oh, oh. It's episode 119 with COVID-19. I did not plan that. That popped into my head, and now it's happening, and it's a thing. COVID-119. Yeah, it's Alan and Brent 119. Uh, We are hoping that everyone is staying healthy, staying sane. Can I say that? I think that, I don't know about you, but I have just, I have employees going stir crazy. I'm doing okay. I'm working more, which I know is wrong. So I'm going to try and take, I'm going to try and not work at all over the weekend. And we're going to see how that goes. But how about you? How are you holding up? Uh, holding up well. I, I think a future episode, by the way, will go into, I noticed a tweet from you recently around, hi, my name's Alan and I am a stud when it comes to uh, managing remote teams. I'm paraphrasing. And I have a remote employee starting on, on Monday. Right. So as, as you know, uh, I, I think I shared last time I'm in the middle of a whole bunch of uh, COVID related missions at Microsoft. I will say, as I also said last time, this new working from home and all of the half hour meetings back to back. That's the one thing I don't understand why, but it is driving me crazy. It's just half hour back to back to back to back to back to back. It completely drains this introvert's battery. Yeah, um, I end up exhausted at the end of the day. I, I'm having 10 to 12 meetings a day, sometimes a few more. Yeah, right now, for the foreseeable future, my Wednesdays are literally half hours back to back. So I guess that makes it 16. I, I, I have blocked off lunch and I am now immediately like declining. But Brent, it's really urgent. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, my Thursdays start at 5.30 in the morning. And uh, luckily in the afternoon yesterday, I had some time off, took the dog for a walk to try and get some recharge time in because it's the same thing with me. I feel really... The meetings are valuable. They're not bad meetings to be in, but I'm just drained at the end of them. So I took some recharge time to walk the dog. And then I was working on kind of this thing we were just talking about before the call. And I pinged someone about uh, getting some information about a project that had missed its estimate by quite a bit. I'm just gathering some retrospective data. He said, this is, he said, this is complicated. Can we have a call? So I did another, I, did a call with him about from five thirty to six at night, and I just was ready to drink and curl up into a ball at the end. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So, as you know, the COVID practices uh, continue to sort of have a, a domino effect. Um, I don't, I don't have anything relating to data, but I'm fairly certain that that effect is uh, just like uh, COVID. It started off with sort of an exponential growth curve. I think the domino effect is now starting to have an exponential growth curve. Uh, 
Uh, again, I have not looked at that data at all. Uh, but companies are laying off, companies are furloughing. Right now, Microsoft, as we get closer and closer to the end of our fiscal year, right? Um, fiscal year is where we get new budget. Um, so the the positions, the uh, what we used to call, or what you, you used to call, uh, I still do, the RECs, the open head count, the rapidly I think shifting. That, that may be an industry-wide term, but go on. Uh, okay, the, the open head count is rapidly shifting. Um, Microsoft is building a new data center in Atlanta. Uh, we already have four folks there. I'm serving as an active manager uh, for that team. Uh, and just came down uh, this week that the, the open manager position we had for that one uh, is at severe risk. So there is a, there is a non-trivial chance that I will shortly be in a position where half of my team is on opposite sides of the United States. <laughs> uh, um, You're so funny. Yeah. Um, my team lives 10 hours away. Half of them do. Oh, uh, but by walking, driving, flying? Uh, 10 hour time zone difference. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So great. So for me, what seems like challenge and difficulty, you're like, uh, I dream of your situation. Nevertheless, yeah, that's why as, I love as previously stated, you're a master. This is why I, I want to come back to that. This is why I love Fridays because the folks in Europe don't generally want to have late afternoon or early evening meetings on Fridays. So I get a little extra time, a few <laughs> fewer meetings on Fridays. It's great. A couple things to mention. I'm a master, but here's something interesting that happened with my latest rec. See how I use that lingo? I uh, did. I had planned to from the beginning. The the person I'm talking about, and I'll give you the name in a second, is the the plan all along was them to work fully remote, to not be part of an office, to work from their home the entire time. And and there were a few like oh, I don't know, but my boss is really supportive, and we made it happen. And I was able to get uh, a rec approved by finance, get the get all the the leveling and pay done all remote, which is great. And what will be cool is he'll onboard remotely. And then at some point when everybody goes back to the office, he'll just stay at home and people won't notice <laughs> that he's never coming to an office. I think it's going to work out very well. And uh, do you, uh, in your travels around the internet, I'm sure this is a name at least some of our listeners have, have uh, mentioned and I can bring this up because this won't get out till after he starts but do you know or if you come across Noah Sussman yes so Noah is my new hire starting on Monday nice yeah it, it, it it's pretty exciting is Noah one of the three Noah's not one of the three uh, but Noah definitely could be I don't require it of my employees I have a handful of my employees hang out among the three or former employees in some cases but he's going to do some great things and take a lot of load and pressure off of me, which is going to be great. I'm pretty darn excited. And then I have a, a, a skip level also starting in San Francisco working remotely on Monday. So my team is now full. And we, uh, unlike Microsoft, the fiscal year for us actually matches the calendar year. 
So I am done with hiring until probably uh, until 2021. Makes a lot of sense. All right. All right. So, so one you had th- I do you, I do and I'm going to segue. I'm going to segue. Oh, I was going to say you did a brilliant segue, you know, 10 minutes ago. I know I and I'm going to re I'm going to re-segue <laughs> with a twist. Oh. So, nice. I think I mentioned Yeah, I'm going to do this. I mentioned 10 minutes ago it seems that uh it's easy to follow up on bugs and things that go wrong for a retrospective. It's also good to look at things like delays in delivery and do not a deep, deep, necessarily deep dive into what went well, what went wrong. But what I found is taking time to reflect and to learn is so important. And I, I think that, no, I know that a organization that emphasizes learning and improvement is an organization that's going to predictably deliver high quality, reliable software. From my experience, it's been experience I've observed. I'm pretty strong around that point. Yet, yet, I don't know that teams in general take advantage of the retrospective much as they could. And one thing I'm thinking of is at the end of this COVID thing, well, maybe it'll never end, but when we start going back to work, I think there are some things we should learn from our experiences and everyone working from home and distributed work that may actually help us going forward back in the workspace. And what makes me sad a little bit is that I don't know if a lot of teams or organizations will take the time to reflect on what went well, what didn't go well and the whole working from home, everyone working from home thing, and then apply that going forward. So the teams that will, there is a huge opportunity for teams to reflect on this time through something like a retrospective in order to make some lasting change in their organization. So uh, with all that long intro, I thought it would be good for us to talk about the importance and the value and some tips and tricks for uh, retrospectives for a, a little bit here today. There's my yeah. intro. Give me your thoughts. Uh, so I do know, uh, for example, my my skip level manager is planning on on talking about this uh, and and doing something here. Behavioral uh, psychology, uh, like, for example, one of the things that we know of human behavior is that if you repeat a pattern for around 90 days, it becomes a new part of your structure. And right now, I think we're about halfway through that 90-day period. At least I am. And my, my anchors of this is is both my wife and I celebrated our 50th this year. We were actually able to go to a fancy resort. I was COVIDing up for my 50th. Happy birthday, Brent. Oh, yeah. Thank, I mean, it's it's more than a month delayed, but I appreciate the sentiment, Alan. Yeah, and, and one quick interjection, quick shout out to my kid who is having his 16th birthday today in COVID isolation. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, 
I mean, wish him happy birthday, but he's he's got my empathy. Uh, hey, you're old enough to drive, but you have to stay home. Sucks to be you, kid. <laughs> now, um, yeah, one of my employees just just shared that they're at 20 weeks and they're about to have their first kid. And of course the wife is, is like, okay, is my mom even going to be able to come and visit? Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, and anyway, that's, this is the retrospective show. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of learnings on that front. And Obviously, learning is easier if it's positively reinforced by action from the top down, uh, but it's not necessarily <clears throat> necessary. Um, I do find uh, the retrospective is, in fact, the most important meeting of the week. Um, but one of the anti-patterns that, that often takes a lot of time to weed out of the team is it's not a postmortem. It's it's your job is to leverage hindsight and find practical changes that you should implement now. Yes. Yeah. So as you know, I do a lot of agile coaching, or at least I did. It's not so much anymore. It, it, it's not a new thing as it once was in Microsoft. So I have a whole deck. I have a whole different uh, variant of Kanban that I put together. Uh, and I have a slide on, on this in that deck. So I don't know where you want to go here, but I'm, I'm ready to talk about things. Okay. I want to uh, push back on one thing and elaborate a little bit and see where things go. One is the line I give my teams and the teams I work with is the retrospective is the second most important meeting of the week, only behind the one-on-one with your manager. One-on-ones with your manager are useless. What are you talking about? If you had said stand-up, you know, I, I, I might have a viable argument. No, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I don't even care if you do stand-up. Just do the damn retro. And the retro <laughs> may tell you you have to do stand-up. And, right. uh, and of course, the I, I do want to point out that the people look at the manifesto for those four statements, this over this, this over this, blah, blah, blah. But there are a whole crap ton of agile principles. And one of those is the one that says at regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective and then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. And it is often neglected and I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Uh, oh, um, and, and I do. And it's, it's again, over and over. Uh, what I've, what I've seen as the pattern is people uh, use it as a way to get the team together and have a postmortem. Yeah, and, and 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 that is maybe twenty five percent of the value. Maybe, maybe. And do you remember the old days of Microsoft when we worked on these products that took three to five years to make, and at the end, uh, there would be no reflection on what went wrong, but we would celebrate what went well by having a big expensive party. Oh, I would often be in in postmortems as well. Um, 
but because it's a post-mortem after three years, right, we would only talk about um, uh, what was top of everyone's mind, which is generally, you know, whatever caused the, the slip. Yeah, uh, in, and, the, in the last month. And I remember the postmortems. Uh, just about every single postmortem I went to at Microsoft, and these are all far in the past, were a, they came out with a big, long list of things that didn't go well, and maybe some things that went well. I don't remember. But I do remember that that list was then quickly forgotten and nothing ever done with it. And the key, right. the key to a retro, is I, and I think you and I are highly aligned on this, is Take the time to reflect. Celebrate some things that went well. Find some things that didn't go well. And then come out with one or two or maybe three at the most action items, things that are going to happen. And those are assigned immediately. Those have owners. Those are done. And what happens as a team gets into the habit of this is very often those things that were complaints in one week or one retro and they get action items assigned and someone deals with them they become the thing you celebrate as a victory or something that's worth celebrating in the following retrospective when you're a team if you're having these weekly even if you're having these every other week i would not go any less frequent than that and you say you just pick one thing to improve and it happens throughout the year you've made 25 small improvements throughout the year which is a huge difference on a team and again going back to what i said earlier embracing learning and improvement this is in the quality culture transition guide but embracing learning and improvement is a key aspect of building your quality culture yes uh, absolutely now the the, the we trick need to find is, more things to disagree on i think we're highly aligned here uh yeah but here i think our intent it will, did you want to argue about no 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 but how, I, i'm gonna I ask mean, this I, how do you get teams to do retros if they're not doing them because we agree they're super important and i think we also agree not enough teams do them how do you get teams to do them so normally when i'm doing it it's because they've come to me and they've asked me to teach them this system and uh what i do generally as part of that when I sign up is I tell them uh, I am actually going to run their retrospective. I run their, their standup for the next month and, and I run retrospective for the next two months, uh, although not quite. So I will run it for the next, I will run their retrospective for the month uh, that I'm running standup uh, and but during that time, we have identified. I have identified who is going to take point on running retrospective when I depart. In that second month, we shift over to that person doing it, and I'm in the room and I'm coaching them. Right. So um, initially, it's very structured because uh, I want them to understand the the right questions to ask uh, and how to how to look at the problem. So I, I the way I found most successful is I basically control it. I, I come in and I say, this is what you're going to do. These are the questions we're going to ask and we're going to keep doing it uh, until until you are able to see the um, positive impact. 
it works very well. For example, if if you have sprints that are in the, with that timeline that I just mentioned, if the team you're talking about is either shifting to Kanban, which is normally what I recommend, or or at least have a a, a small sprint cycle, right? The, yep. Um, so if me, they don't have a small sprint cycle, then that's the first thing I do is change that. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, I have a slightly different approach, but which people were talking about is I often start with a less formal approach. I often so we talk a lot about velocity and predictability. You and I talked about it a little bit offline. I think we talked the last episode about velocity. Uh, one of the things that I have been telling the teams and what one wonderful thing about our organization is uh is well one i i pick on them but they're a high performing org i just can spot the areas to improve uh maybe better than some so when i talk about velocity and delivery velocity and predictability the thing i bring up is it's not about coding faster it's about recognizing where the delays are in the system and finding ways to mitigate or eliminate those. Yes. And those delays can be anything from waiting for a code review to something taking too long in the build system to uh, waiting for legal to sign off on something. Uh, it's an endless list. But here is the key. So the next step in the plan or the thing now that the org recognizes, yeah, it, you're right, Alan, it's the delays. It's not, those are the things that mess us up. We never thought about them before. Oh, so now you're thinking about them. And then I do often for teams that aren't doing retros, the stealth retro, where maybe it's a meeting, they, they may want to meet with me and talk about, hey, Alan, what are some ways you think we can do, improve our velocity? Or what are some ways you think we can improve quality? And without even being formal, I may just, in a meeting with them, ask some questions like, what do you think is going well in regards to this? And we'll list some things on the board or in some these days in virtual notes. And then I say, well, what are some things that aren't going well? And we'll take some more notes on that. Are there a couple things we can do about it right away that would make a difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we do those things. And then I may cap it off. We should have another meeting like this in, in next week or the week after. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then all of a sudden we're doing retros. Uh, yeah. Uh, stealth retro. Love, love the term. <laughs> yeah. Because the... there are, we have the, the culture of autonomy in our organization is so strong. People want to be independent and make, and make their own choices and they're really good at it. But what it does is when you have that culture, it can make a little bit of aversion to things that sound like process. So I have to be very careful of that because I want to uh, to use my Heffetz quote yet again, disappoint people at a level they can absorb. So I find that going into that discussion, if they don't feel like it's a air quote processy thing, I end up having a lot more success. So I end up doing stealth retros quite a bit. And some teams are actually a little farther along. They actually realize the uh, value of them and do them much better and, and on their own. That's a worthy discussion point. That's an interesting concept. Um, I am thinking. Well, I don't want to do that right now on the on the podcast, but it might be something worth talking about later because I do have something very process laden, and uh, I have now mastered when people come in with with sort of their process 
bozo bit firmly entrenched in the on position. I have come up with all kinds of ways to break down that wall. But uh, as we know, the more you can oil the frog and make him think it was their idea in the first place, uh, the more sustainable it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think this just points out that you need to recognize the context of the team you're dealing with. For some teams, you can say, you know what, let's have a retrospective on this. They go, yeah, let's do that. But you know your teams, you know the teams you're working with, whether it's the team you're on, which is probably true for most of you, or if you're in a role more like mine, where your team is 50 different teams around an organization, is finding the way that will work for that team. Because honestly, what we want to do is get every team to embrace the value of reflecting on the work they've done and figure out one, have a little mini celebration for what's went well, and then also figure out where improvements can be made. We retro, so, we retro everything. So, uh, is it worthwhile uh, for me to sort of try to describe at a high level what what my process is? Yeah, here? yeah. I think the, everybody knows okay. Alan is the 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 loose loose and wing it, fa- foot loose and fancy free retro. And one thing is, we do team retros for project work, and then also anytime there's an opportunity for learning. Uh, our org is pretty good about, hey, yeah, let's retro that. We just did a promotion cycle. We're doing it, we do promotion panels, and we had multiple retros on how the panels work so we can get them even better next time. There's a series of meetings we have. I won't go into details, and we took some time to have retros on those to figure out what's going well to try and improve those. So our org is pretty good at that, but as good as we are at, at retroing some things, some things we forget to. That's where I poke in sometimes with the stealth retro, just to make sure everyone is embracing that learning culture. So yeah. that is my recap. Go on to the little more Brentified version of the retro. Sure. Uh, it's interesting on your recap, because every so often uh, I will represent my deck around the system to my own team. It's maybe about once a year. And it's fascinating because... I'm able to very clearly see uh, solutions that in the moment uh, I don't see, and that's because I'm in the weeds. And so it's this, this deck is, has been, or the deck that I do has been fascinating to me because it's it's sort of a, uh, it's sort of the completely buried and in fire drills, subjective Brent um, being talked to by, you know, five years ago, objective Brent and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I should go back to that. I can see where I diverge and got in the weeds. Anyway, so in retrospectives at a high level, I generally do two different types. Um, here, I'll t- just talk about what I what I call the weekly retrospective. Uh, if there's interest, we can talk about the quarterly one as well. Um, the weekly, the, the problem I find with the the weekly retrospective is generally very tactical. So uh, you generally see people talking about, you know, what what could have improved this particular feature or this particular story or this particular fill in the blank on your own tactical thing. And it's useful uh, in my experience to have something quarterly that sort of goes up the stack and tries to identify patterns. Uh, and you can search it on the internet for that. It's called the, the starfish model retrospective. 
Uh, very I, familiar. I, I find that very handy. The other thing I've done for the, the weekly retrospective is in order to make it such that it's just not, you know, um, a get together time, uh, I, I start off with a goal. And the goal of the retrospective is uh, by the end of the retrospective, we should have identified two actionable things for two categories uh, that we will immediately implement. And the categories are celebrate and change. What are two things based on what we learned today that we should change immediately? And what are two things that we should celebrate immediately? And that's the goal. That's the goal I put in place for retrospective uh, so that it's not just a talk fest. Okay. Couple of changes that I do. Uh, we generally will talk about tickets that are perceived as as problematic. So that this could be tickets, stories, uh, again, uh, and we do a Kanban style. So we will specifically target the ones that were over that were delivered over the SLA. Uh, but you could also do overestimate. Uh, for those who don't understand the difference in Kanban, typically um, you want to target tickets that um, uh, you spend a, a less amount of time planning on this. It, you really just want confidence that you can complete it in, in two weeks or less. And if you can, then great. Don't spend the time estimating. So for us, it, the, the SLA will be two weeks. Uh, for initial start, and then if it's if it goes over, we want to talk about those. Now, here's one first paradigm shift that we kind of do is we want retrospective to be focused on it's a team sport, okay? So, but that's generally not how tickets are executed, unless uh, unless you know you're in a place that's uh, XP and everyone mobs or pair programs. Right. Uh, generally, you have a, a single person that was on that delay. Now, the one of first perspective is when we talk about it, we're going to assume that that person was perfect in every single way. And that the reason why there was delay in that ticket was due to the other members of the team. What this does over time is it gets people to realize how they, in fact, could have detected earlier that this ticket was late or was about to be late and how they could have come in, shared knowledge, et cetera. And I see you nodding in the camera. Do you wish, yep. wish to interject? Nope, no, nope, I'm with you. All right. The other thing I try to do is, is get them to identify waste. Waste, waste tickets, or delay. Um, the, these are the, the biggest causes, uh, from my experience, the biggest causes of why it was late. My favorite thing is something I picked up from Eric Reese, and that is if you can identify a waste ticket, uh, and I'll give you a little clue about that later. Actually, let me talk about waste ticket. So if you want to identify if, if it's a waste ticket, um, you first go value I got from the ticket. 
Would I do more of it if I could? If the answer is yes, then that is probably value. Now, let's assume it's customer value in this case. But if you said, no, I would not do more of it if I could, uh, then you ask, can I do less of it? And if the answer is no, that's a cost. If you can't do less of it, then that's just the cost of doing business. Like for example, monitoring. Would you do more monitoring if you could? Uh, a lot of the times the answer is no, but can you do less of it? Also, no, right? So monitoring, uh, writing monitoring or um, things of that sort uh, is, is often just the cost of, of running a service, doing a business. That's like, I, I like this framing and I may stick this into even a stealth retro, uh, but it's a way it prompts the right questioning around the tasks the team is working on. So that's really valuable. Yep. Cool. And then once you identify it's a waste ticket and I'm going to try to finish the rest of this in maybe three minutes. It, it, once you identify the waste ticket, then the real crit critical thing is to talk about is what could the team had done differently to come to the same conclusion much sooner. Uh, and that is very valuable. Like we've, we've talked over and over again around the Eric Reese scenario. Um, uh, I find it, it encouraging people to practice that muscle and come up with creative ways that, that, that they could have realized that they were onion peeling something that would ultimately have no value sooner then we can close on those things faster and get them onto something more valuable. So learning to identify that you're working on a waste ticket right now is just a fantastic muscle to build. Once people get good at that, then you gotta, you gotta teach them how to identify delay. Now, I normally will tell people, Hey, uh, from the experience I have there, there's four big causes of delay. And number one, Dependency mismanagement. Like you started a ticket, you did not realize you had a dependency or you did not realize your dependency wasn't going to land in time. And you sat there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for your dependency to clear so that you could move forward. Uh, if you can identify these things and the next system I'll, I'll talk about, uh, we'll, we'll do it. I don't know if I'll do do it justice in time. Uh, what I tell people is don't start the work until you are sure the dependency is cleared, right? Obviously, sometimes you miss dependencies and that's important in a retrospective to learn from so that the next time, but don't start the work until you have the dependency cleared. Do not try to do things in parallel with the dependent team is my best advice. Multitasking, that's another one. I'm uh, I'm smiling because I've been having so many discussions around these aren't part of an official even one of my stealth retros but I work a lot with my with our teams on velocity and predictability mm -hmm. and these are the things that come up all the time dependencies multitasking is another one too many things at once and that's a huge problem in our orgs and I, and I yeah uh, it is yes this is not what I'm nodding at these are things that you've, you've applied your scientific, your processes to, but but it's the truth everywhere. Yes, yes. Uh, another one is a bad definition of done 
during the design phase, people realizing that they didn't uh, describe it well enough or uh, they described it in a well in a way that was sort of activity driven. Same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then last, I feel like I, I could go into ra- any rando org in the world and, and say this. give and give give some generic blueprinted advice around those things, and of course help people reach them. And I'm and I, and that's it. That's all I have to do. And then knowledge bottlenecks is the the other major one. It's essentially you have one person on the team that 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 knows everything that is necessary for that for that story to move forward. And yep. because and if you've read the Phoenix Project, that's Brent. Not that Brent. Not, the other Brent. Not not me. Yeah. At some point in time, I will probably send a mail to an author and express my emotion around their choice of names. It's all coincidental. Uh, although the three definitely seem to enjoy that that person's name is Brent. I less so. So there is a tool, uh, and I'm definitely not going to be able to do this justice in the time we have remaining today, but the it's called a value stream map. And this is something that I find very fascinating, uh, very enlightening. And what we do is, so imagine a timeline for that particular ticket. And what you do is you ask the person to just draw a line. Uh, And the line uh, is, is along the timeline, and the line just goes up or down. Okay, and it's, it's, it's just a zero or one if you think about any sort of graph that you see. Okay, uh, the x-axis are dates, and you say, "All right, so when did you start?" And they say, "This date." Great. Did you start? Now, how many days in a row were you actively working on it uh, on that date, and actively working on it? And you you draw a line in that up position for those number of days. And then when they were stalled and delayed, you move it, you move the line down and you say, how many days were you delayed on that one? And then up, down, up, down. Alan, am I describing this well so far? Yep, yep. I'm I'm quite familiar with the value stream map. Okay. Uh, And yes. All right. Then what you do is you have the, the, you, you look at, you first look at the downs, right? That's where the delays were occurring. And you have a, you look at the biggest one in that ticket and you say, okay, what could we have done to just eliminate that delay? Like, what were you doing there? What were you waiting on? What could we have done to eliminate that, that particular delay? How could we have gotten this ticket complete without that delay? Sometimes you'll find tickets that don't have uh, big delays or the delays are weekends. The weekends ones, I definitely encourage just ignoring those. The Then if you see, okay, well, you see a big chunk where they were working actively, say, for seven days. Then then you start going, okay, what could we have done to, to shrink that? How could we have shared knowledge with you proactively? There are many times where I find the person, because there was a knowledge bottleneck, they spent their time three days of their cycle actively learning what could have been answered in five minutes by that, the knowledge bottleneck. Um, and it, then you start calling out, oh, you know what? This, this information is really important. Maybe what we need to do is have knowledge bottleneck 
spend an hour recording a presentation so that others can review it instead of um, you know going through this one-off process. Uh, and so that allows people to sort of go through it tactically and then identify additional sort of places to learn. Now, what I found is if you do this sort of tactical thing over and over again, the common, I keep using the tactical, the common patterns for the day-to-day -day job that is slowing them down become very clear. And again, they have the goal of identifying two celebrates and two changes. And uh, when you get them through these sort of paradigm shifts, they start being very productive at identifying what they themselves. I, I will say, again, one of the key ones that I've done uh, on this one is the person who is owning the ticket is in retrospective, by definition, faultless. You want to encourage the, you want, without using the word blame the team, uh, you want to blame the team and, and basically say, no, no, this guy did everything. They were perfect. They are a, a five-star engineer. They did everything that they could have given the information. The reason why it fell down is you people didn't help him in a timely fashion. Now let's figure out what we could, what we could have done. So we don't do that next week. Right. So one of the, I'm going to, there's this concept uh, referred to often as psychological safety is this culture of no blame. Right. And when I run more official, it's, a, it's usually incident retros and something we're doing a retrospective, not just from work on tickets, but here's something that went wrong, whether it's in uh, delivery or in a customer impacting incident. And we want to embrace the learning opportunity. And I typically lead these for teams across the organization and I always lead that discussion by saying, by reminding the team, and they get it now. And I say something like this. Thanks for your time and coming today. Appreciate it. I want to remind everybody, this is not about blame. This is, if it's anybody's fault, it's my fault. And I want to have a discussion to figure out what we can do to our environment to make it less likely that a problem like this could happen in the future. Some, some variation of that, because it really is about creating the systems and environments and culture where the mistakes that we have made in the past are much more difficult to make in the future. We, we even, for our incidents, we even, uh, our production incidents, we even track uh, a large bucket. We have a lot of different buckets for the category of an incident, but we sort of break them down into, we messed up, somebody else messed up, and we should have known better. And the should have known better category is the things that where we had a similar incident in the past and we failed to make the right adjustments to the system to stop that from happening. The other ang angle. So I like that. Uh, there's a couple of pivots that I will do is what I will specifically call out uh, again, that, that the person who was running the ticket was perfect. They did we will have retrospective uh, under the assumption that this person did everything correct under the context that they were in. I do, uh, I shift back and forth before, between whether I use the B word or not, uh, but I will always reinforce 
that that person was perfect. Uh, and the, the other angle on that one is every so often that person will step up and they will say, I am 100% at fault. I stop that. I prevent that. I disallow it. But there's other tricks as well. So, so for example, uh, if for some reason we, we see that the ticket was actually delayed in the design phase, then what I will do is I will not ask the person who owned the ticket any question about that. I will ask who were the design reviewers and I will ask them, hey, what do you think you could have done to, to detect this? What do you think you could have done uh, to, to, to ask the right question sooner? Uh, things along those lines. Because I, I try to reinforce, hey, our job, the reason why we do design reviews is that we assume that the, that the person who designed it did something wrong, right? And, and in that design phase, they, they had some invalid assumption, right? It, and so your job is to be the objective reviewer and go, okay, what did they miss? And uh, same thing if, if, it's, if it's, for example, uh, based off of a code review. Hey, how come, how, what do we think we could have done so that the code reviewers could have observed this sooner? But I always try to protect. I don't want the discussion to be around the owner. I want the discussion to be around the team and how the team could have detected this is a ticket or a person in trouble and come in and give them the information that they need at that time. Right? It, this is the retrospective I found is one of the more valuable techniques to block uh, this this phenomenon of it's hey that sounds like your problem not mine. Anyway, I'm done babbling on that one. All right, short takeaway is retros good. Do them. Figure out what works for you and your team. You could do it from the lightweight stealth retro all the way to really digging in. I love the questions you have, and I want to find a way to incorporate some of those into the both the stealth and the expected. I should call them retros that my team does. Yep. Because we're focusing a lot on finding delays in the system. Uh, I've got the team to realize that's really important. So I will use some of your techniques. And I hope the listeners have learned some things they can try too. Me too. All right, man. So we are done, I think. Do you have anything else? Any closing words? Any uh, fancy things to say? Be safe, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess so. All right, I'll have a I good weekend. I feel like a news anchor that's supposed to say some sort of sign-off catchphrase. Yeah, yeah we don't really have one. So yep. uh, thanks for listening yet again. Uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Bye.